Blog Talk Radio. Nigga, dance. Do you send a gun? Bubble, nigga, you go at the freak, can 
just can't keep down For the numb that you owe Ain't tell a vote Got some girls Some new rough You know what I'm running Stop fucking Get a fuck When I load up a gun Holy drop Oh Keep up town Let's keep up town Let's keep up town Let's keep Racing away all the strife Telling our tales with verbal mail Putting honey on the blade Creating language to persuade Share who we've always been Always a blessing, never a sin We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop And we don't stop Since our mother gave birth to everyone on earth So we echo her call And always walk tall hips of the world, so we create black pearls, that everyone can wear, that everyone can share, we can't live in despair, so we shine everywhere, on and on.
that you pollute for the life that you have caused for the good you prostitute and for all that we have lost In 30 years, the Piscataway Indian Nation singers and dancers have been touring the world in an attempt to break stereotypes and educate others about the history of their people. Their leader and narrator, Mark Tyak, is the son of a 28th generation Piscataway chieftain. When his father passes, it will be his turn to lead his tribe. During a ceremonial war dance, James Edwards displays the American Indian virtue of mercy by not striking his target. Steve Conway demonstrated what is called a men's grass dance. These were often used by American Indians to flatten grassy plains before making camp. Here Eagle Boy Co. leads sophomore elementary education and engineering major Melissa Zichkowski in a rabbit dance, traditionally done by couples. Conway took the stage yet again to demonstrate a ring dance, an age-old tradition of forming shapes with rings, things like eagles, turtles, and the world. Co. performed an eagle dance, while Tayek explained the origin of the term Indian as it is used to describe Native Americans. The term came from Columbus, who, after being taken in by natives, affectionately dubbed them Indios, Spanish for in God. We'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Moon. This is a special program in solidarity with the all African peoples Revolutionary Party GC as they celebrate African Liberation Month. We are celebrating the history of 64 years of African Liberation Day and 74 years of Palestine. Thank you for chiming in today as we feature this special program, a tribute to students and the youth. At this point in time, we have acknowledged the indigenous owner of this land, the indigenous people. And we can now make our transition to today's program, which I will bring in my co-host, Brother M2, and he will give you the formal welcoming for today's program. Welcome, Brother M2. How you doing, Brother Lee? Peace, peace. How you doing? 
I am Mayusi. I'm good. I'm good. Um, peace and praises to all of our listening audience. I am Intu Mayusi, political organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. We would like to welcome our listening audience as well as our participants to this program on students and youth are the spark, the role of students and youth in the revolution. As, as part of our African Liberation Month, ongoing activities and programs as we celebrate 64 years of African Liberation Day and 74 years of Palestine and Nakba Day, along with my co-host, uh, Brother Africa. We would like to thank our co-sponsors, first, the National Council of Arab Americans, Brother Jafar. Secondly, we would like to thank Africa on the Move radio station under the, under the direction of the African Awareness Association. Thirdly, we want to thank the AAPRPGC for putting this program together. Uh, students, students should feel the obligation to combat the government. The youth must always be rebels and self-sacrificing. Students should not rebel against justice. They should be rebellious against injustice. They should be with the revolution because the revolution itself is a rebellion against all injustice, all abuse, all oppression, exploitation, all the evils that can affect a human society. The American political regime, as well as any capitalist regime, unless it becomes revolutionary, will never have the student support. And we are sure that no government of thieves uh, or imperialists will ever have the students support. The students should be against antisocial, exploiting, pro-imperialist governments. They must always be behind any just cause at the side of oppressed, at the side of the oppressed and exploited peoples. It is significant that the students support the revolution because it is a thorough social and cultural revolution. Mm -hmm. A social revolution is, above all, a tremendous class of social interests, a tremendous struggle between social classes and that struggle. It is logical that any youth, any young person, should be against any type of government that has crookedness, treason, corrupt politics, and crime. It is also logic that some students should be against the revolution, the revolutionary regime as well. And we ask ourselves which class this is. Um, that's the part of the students that come from the, the wealthy exploitative classes. We know that under the influence of these classes, some of our youth will be drawn into counter-revolutionary efforts. All young African people whose enthusiasm, unselfishness, and faith in their nation give them every right to be proud. The future of our nation depends on the quality of her youth. We must do all that we can to see that our young girls are not socially inferior. This is the way to give them the equal status. It is also the only way to raise their sense of responsibility and to secure their effective participation in the revolutionary work of economic and social reconstruction. There is a need for leaders to improve the moral quality of their organization in order to encourage conscious self-discipline amongst our youth we should consider morality 
as the mind's good health and should not be satisfied with appearances. We should bear in mind that the moral and physical qualities of man are related, and physical weakness is naturally reflected in the moral sphere. Um, so we understand that fear breeds falsehood, while mer- moral courage creates physical courage, and physical laziness leads to hypocrisy. We must restore to the youth a new confidence in themselves, a new awareness of their captivities, a sense of their human responsibility of self-justification. The youth of Africa are not only the link between the past of our continent and its future, they are also a vital factor in the fulfillment of the task common to all of us at, at the present stages and our future stages. They are an essential element in our fighting forces and the, mouth, the mouthpiece of the rightful aspirations of our people marching toward their higher objective, the rehabilitation of our civilization and cultural values, as well as social and economic developments. It is the privilege of the African youth that it is closely associated with the revolutionary phase of the African history. It is also another privilege of our youth that it can imprint on the revolutionary action of our people clear-sighted confidence, a dynamic awareness, a will for democratic progress, which will work with impulsive, creative driving forces in the future of our masses. If the students and youth of Africa are in fact the promising social levian of the continent's human advancement, this, is, this imposes on them the duty to choose the most rational forms of an, an efficient, decisive action and to affirm the revolutionary nature of their commitment to the exclusive service of the emancipation of the African homeland. Our youth must take an important part in the responsibility that our peoples assume to improve their living condition just as it takes part in action for worldwide projection of the African personality. The colonial system has established its educational programs with a view to facilitating its own survival and to consolidating its foundations. Thus, our intellectuals become more alien to their own community because of the many complexes created in their minds and because they have become deeply ignorant to the real life of African people. The values set by the colonizers were unrelated to African people's wishes to safeguard their originality and to make a valuable contribution as members of the world community towards the enrichment and perfecting of the material, moral, and spiritual values of mankind. The revolution is more in need of conscious, committed, dedicated, hardworking people than of well-filled brains. The the emancipation of our women depends directly upon the quality of the efforts they undertake to give the younger generation wise instructions and a solid education with a dynamic democratic content. Um, We also understand that um, the intelligentsia always leads the national movement in its early stages, um, but we also know that it inspires to replace the colonial power and not to bring about radical transformation of the society. So, again, um, it's not, you know, 
just important for us to, to have all the brains and to have all the smarts, but for that education to be revolutionary. Our intellects, our youth have to have a revolutionary education in order to move forward. Um, otherwise, we'll just have a, a, a neo-colonial way of thinking um, to move us forward. Um, that's all I have to open us up with. Um, again, I'd like to thank our participants um, as well as our supporters, our sponsors, and Africa on the Move. Thank you. Thank you, Brother M2. What we're going to do right now is we're going to go into our presentations, the discussion, as we talk about students are to spark their role in revolution. We have with us from Africa, we have with us Sister Naya Celine Tanum. She's a organizer. She's a leader for the community, and she works directly with students and youth, women and young males in the school or orphans, where she can talk a little bit about what she does, but really talk about the African youth and the students and how we can become more responsible to make sure we have future students and youth who will serve as leaders for the interests of Africa. We now we're bringing our sister Celine, and we'd like to welcome her to Africa on the Move and welcome her to African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, 2022. Sister Celine, welcome. Uh, thank you, African Liberation Organization, and thank God for the African Day. I'm so happy to be a part of this program. Oh, my name is Naya Lefunze Selim Tayan. Tayan is my father's name. I'm the president of uh, Mundani Believing Women Roots and Tubas Cooperative. I'm also the coordinator of uh, Southwest Women and Youth in Agri-Business. Oh, we have so many youth activities that are going on in Cameroon. Our students are going to school. But what I discover is that the education that are going through does not have any impact in their lives. Being that they study mostly general education and when they come out of school they don't have jobs. It render them poor and make them to be jobless. And that's why in Africa, we see our children dying in the Mediterranean Sea every day because they don't have jobs. They love their country, Africa, quite all right, their continent. But the problem is the poverty situation that is in Africa. It is really alarming, especially in my country, Cameroon, where we have crisis. Now you have so many children who are out of school. They can't go to school because some have lost their both parents. Some have lost their fathers, and it's only their mothers who are remaining, and they are poor. They don't have any, any income-generating activity. You go to the villages, now you see a, a young girl. You think that it's a babysitter. Meaning why she's a woman having children. You see her with three children. She's carrying one on her back and then two. 
holding two in our hands. So when we talk about African liberation, and we see all these poor situations that are happening in Africa, I don't know how, how long it would take to liberate Africa. Because when you look at Africa, you see that everywhere there is war. If you don't have crisis, you have war. My prayer is that we should go into the root cause and look for the root cause of all this crisis and see how we can solve the problem of Africa. If Africa is not united, then we cannot be liberated. It's unity that brings liberation. We can be liberated when we are divided. So my prayer is African Liberation Party to look into this situation that is happening in Africa. We struggle in our own little way to see how we can sponsor these children in school. But what have we? We women. We are just mere farmers. What do we have? enough to sponsor many children in school. It's a very big burden in our hearts, seeing those students staying at home without going to school, without jobs. It's really terrible. Last week, somebody in my village fell off from a palm tree. He asked about seven children. The wife has given birth to twins. I think about two times. He has many children. The wife is doing nothing. He climbed a palm tree to cut nuts and fell down and died. What is the future of these children? It is a burden in my heart when we look, talk about liberation. We should think of what we can do, the activities that we can put in place to liberate people. Because when we begin to talk only about politics, Politics will not help us. It's unity that will help Africa to be liberated. It's the activities that we carry out that will touch the heart of people to see that, oh, no, if we are united, as these our brothers, as these our sisters are united, and they are carrying out this type of activities, Africa will change. Africa will be transformed. We will be united. And then whatsoever thing we want, will come to pass. I thank you people so much for this opportunity you have given me. I know that this was I'm saying, they are going far and wide all over the whole world. Let Africans think of the activities they can carry back home to liberate Africa, to liberate us from poverty, to liberate our children, let them have jobs so that they should stop moving from Africa to other countries, leaving their own continent, leaving the development that would have been carried out in their own continent and going to other continents. There's a, a brain drain. Our most intelligent children always leave Africa and go out of Africa because they are searching for greener pastures. Who are the people to build Africa? We should think of activities or projects that we can put in place that can bring a lot of employment to our African students so that they will concentrate in Africa and develop Africa for us. Thank you.
I lost my in-law. I'm like this on my way to Southwest because my in-law died yesterday. Thank you. Sister Celine, do you hold on for a few minutes? Because may, we may have some questions to talk about the youth and the students in Cameroon in general, and Africa in particular. So hold on a few more minutes if you can. Next, we will make our transition to we have Brother Dennis Rogers. He's a, he's a PhD. Uh, he's an educator. He's an intellectual. He's a he has a history of working with students. And we're gonna bring on Brother Dennis right now. Ask him to formally introduce him, introduce himself, and tell us something about him and. Give, give us a perspective on the state of students and youth today, in particular the African students and youth. So right now we're going to bring on Brother Dennis Rogers, and we'd like to welcome to Africa on the Move and African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, 2022. Brother Dennis, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's good to be here, Brother Lee. I wish I could see you. I miss your, your face and that wonderful art you always put together for ALD uh, there in Washington, D.C., that you all beam out all over the world. Um, as, as the brother said, my name is Brother Dr. Dennis Rogers, and I'm a double alum of Howard University uh, with a Ph.D. in political science and really political theory and, and uh, black politics. I have done some work in the international arena, but today I want to talk about the work um, that I've done with, with youth and to echo some of the sentiments I heard in the previous speaker uh, particularly around the work that we need to do together to build up our youth so that they can work with African youth uh, in, a, in a sensitive manner, right, uh, to not come with a colonial mind as though we have all the solutions and, and we're going to pour into an empty vessel. We know that Africa is very rich in cultural values uh, articulated and expressed and lived out among the people. And uh, we want to expose our uh, African youth here in the States to that type of exposure. So just as a little backdrop, um, I made my first trip to Africa as an undergraduate student. We actually went to Lome, Togo, uh, where we visited with the Village du Benin, and the, um, it was a foreign language institute, and we were introduced to the top student. And the top student at Village du Benin spoke 23 languages. We've heard of, of Maya Angelou speaking seven languages, and we've heard of Paul Roberson speaking some 17 languages, but the, the top student at the Village du Benin spoke 17 languages, indigenous languages, of course, to the continent of Africa, as well as European languages. We were extremely impressed with the brilliance of the African students, and and one of the things that we saw happen when they welcomed us in and they brought us in with a dance, with good food, with, with good spirits, were we saw the, um, the steps that our fraternities and sororities, our divine nine organizations manifest. So we saw the root and dance of those um, Africans in the divine nine organizations, the fraternities and sororities in the United States and globally in the steps of our African kindred, of our African brothers. So, again, there's divine wisdom in the life being lived out on the continent of Africa, and we were exposed to that as, as undergraduate students. We went on from um, the Villas du Benin and Lome, Togo, which was our base of operation, to uh, Accra, Ghana, and we visited in Accra both the W.B. Du Bois 
censor, which we understand has had some, you know, kind of political back and forth and who actually uh, manages or controls and what level of resources uh, that are being put into the center. But for us, coming from the states, it was an affirmation because we know that toward the end, the boys got closer to Garvey in the sense that he saw the solutions in the continent of Africa, so much so that he decided to have his body buried there on African soil in Accra, Ghana, there at the W.B. Du Bois Institute. And we visited Kumasi. We visited the, um, the seat of the Ashante Kingdom. And we had a brother with us, Dr. Fahim Ashante, who really walked us through what the meaning of the Ashante Kingdom was for the world to see. So we had a, a kingdom. We had a people in lockstep with the king who sat on the Ashante stool that were about what's in the best interest of the people. And and shall I say that we took this trip, 25 students, student leaders, and 25 faculty, staff, and administrators from our university and the highest-ranking African-American at our university leveraged university resources to make this trip possible, and they started a study abroad program. We also visited Benin. Most people know of the, the African mask that was used in the Pan-African Festival, I want to say in 1977, Lee, correct me if I'm wrong, brother, but that, that mask that represents the queen mother and that only the king wore it because the king's authority came from the queen mothers in the community. And so we had an opportunity to be really immersed in African culture while we were college students, right? And, and from that experience, what I've gone on to do, among other things, to, to meet uh, Bob Brown and African Liberation Day there in Malcolm X Park in Washington, D.C., through Dr. Mary Hoover, um, I had an opportunity to actually enjoy the teachings of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party as a young person that came out of Stuart Barbie and Craig Hall, other brothers in the party. I never joined the party, but they embraced me with the teachings and the knowledge from the study groups experienced by the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. And in the work that I do with young people now, we're planning to take students abroad uh, to the continent of Africa in May as graduation trips because back in the day, Europeans, when they graduate, they do the grand European tour and they'd see the places they'd studied about in their, in their schooling. Well, we're taking college students to uh, uh, Marrakesh and Morocco. We're taking students to, to Karnak, Luxor, to Cairo for a cruise down the Nile. We're taking students to Ghana again and Kumasi to expose them to our African history, our African origin, and to impress upon them to be ambassadors thinking what's in the best interest of our African nation in the United States and how can we interact with African nations on the continent of Africa in a way that's mutually beneficial. When we look at the 400-year return commemoration and that the president of Ghana came over and made an announcement from the, the, um, the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., we understand that before that, two years earlier, the brother who headed up the Ghanaian Tourism Board put together this notion of the 400-year return. And from that great African mind came the remembrance of the fact that in 1619, some argue, 
uh, Africans arrived in in Hampton, Virginia, at, at Fort Comfort, Fort Comfort in in Hampton, Virginia. There are other arguments, of course. Ivan Van Sertima, they came before Columbus. Uh, the brother Lerone Bennett, who wrote, they came before the Mayflower. That argues we were here long before then. But just building on that 1619 concept, what Ghana did was they established a come home experience for over one million Africans in America that came back into Ghana for cultural tourism. And my understanding is the the nation state of Ghana amassed a billion dollars in commerce out of that experience. In addition, there were some that were offered dual citizenship. So when Africa decides that they want to welcome their kith and kin brethren from the continent in a manner that's mutually beneficial, there's a lot of work that can be done. There are engineers trained here. There are scientists trained here. They have a heart for Africa. It's just a matter of making those linkages possible to have the dam project or the water project, or I understand there's a project called uh, the Wakanda project in certain areas on the continent of Africa where they're establishing hectares of land for development. We can connect African students to that, college students. We can go even further to high school and middle school students. We just need to create the infrastructure that allows them to be absorbing and make a contribution that's respectful of the best that Africa has to offer and that brings the best of what African Americans, black Africans in America, have to offer in a cultural, mutually beneficial way, not with the value system that we're taught in our educational system. Amos Wilson said when they brought us to the continent, from the continent of Africa to America, we were being educated. We were being educated to be subservient and to uphold the system of slaveocracy. And out of that, when we uh, fought for our liberation as um, colored troops in the American Civil War and black men had guns that helped to bring about Juneteenth when they went to Galveston, Texas with their guns to say, you know these people are free by, by government statute. We have these guns here to back up that freedom, and Juneteenth became a thing, which is now a national holiday. We know that in the middle of all of that, there were African minds at work to establish a value system in the hush harbors that was antithetical to the colonial value system we were taught in the schools that has been adapted by many of the colleges and universities that continues to perpetuate our current status quo. Everyone in America is being educated, socialized through the media, through the church, through the music, through the educational system, and thus we are where we are. If we're going to change where we're going, we need to take control and, and manage our own educational process. This is why I support schools like Marcus Garvey School in Los Angeles, California, where Stevie Wonder sent his children, like Ujima Shule in, in, in Washington, D.C., Watoto Shule, and, and um, Baba El Zinga uh, Zulu there in Washington, D.C., because he's been educating African people to be responsive to the African value system. You can't even walk in the door without wearing the proper attire. Families must come and meet because we got to unlearn the colonial education so that we don't bring our children up in the fullness of colonial education that we were exposed to as young people. So I just want to um, stop it here, Brother Lee, and say thank you for this opportunity to express 
that in the young people I've been working with, bringing them together from college, colleges and universities since 1994, the year before the Million Man March, where I served on the National Youth Organizing Committee of the Million Man March in 1995 with Obi Boone and others that are coming later, we've been working with the youth to Africanize their thinking, to connect them practically to the continent of Africa, and to ensure that the values that we perpetuate are not the values uh, poured into our subconscious minds before we reach the age of seven through the European educational system. Thank you, Brother Lee. All right, Brother Dennis and Sister Celine, we have one African born on the continent, another African born in the U.S. SNCs. Now, we're speaking about students and youth today, and this whole question about bringing about a change, a revolution for Africa. I will ask each one of y'all to address this question. Celine, what can Africans outside of Africa, Africans like today who are living and speaking from the United States, what can we do to better integrate into the fails and the conditions of the Africans in Cameroon and Africa in general? And Dennis, I'm going to ask you the same thing. What can Africans do when they come over here to integrate in the African communities so we can begin to function at one? So, Celine, your response to the integration process of Africans born outside of Africa, what can the practical thing you think we can do or help to make this process accelerate a little more? Um, to me, I feel that um, creating an impact on the life of the students, especially those who have dropped out of school, bringing them back into education. And we look for the type of education that will enhance them to finish school and have something doing. I know there is technical education, but when the white man came, he just gave us general education. He did not really let, let us in a way that we should be independent. We need the children that when they come out of school, they should at least be independent, that they can fend for themselves, that can have something in hand that can help them. To know that as a, a, a graduate from the university, a graduate from secondary school. At least this is a job. I can create a job for myself other than waiting for the government. There is no government that has employed everybody in the country. There is no government in this world that can employ all its citizens. We know that the children are the future generation because we are getting old. Very soon we will die. What impact have we left upon the young ones, the young children, to educate them so that when we are no more there, they will continue for the development of Africa? I feel that if those children can be sponsored to go back to school, and then as uh, my brother, the professor, have said that he used to carry some children to other countries, to Ghana, to Egypt, and so forth. 
if they can begin to move from another country in Africa to another country and see the way they are developing, they will now start developing the interest on Africa to see that if these countries are like this, I can also bring a change. I can stay in Africa and bring a change in my own country. I think that will be better. Exchange visit will be good for for that. Thank you. That's, that's, I don't um, know what I've answered your question. Your your response is acceptable, Celine. Brother Dennis. Yes, thank you, Sister Celine. Um, when I think of what African black Africans in America can do in interaction with black Africans on the continent and throughout the diaspora. Um, when, when Africans arrive, um, there should be a welcoming experience. Like I said, when we went to uh, Lome, Togo, they welcomed us home. They sang welcome home in their indigenous language, and it brought many of us to tears. They embraced us as though we were their kith and kin, their brethren. And so there, there are several universal languages. Food is a universal language, breaking bread together. Sport is a universal language. When children play together, they breathe the same air. They, they, they perspire together. They laugh together. They're challenged. And sport is an international language we see played out in the Olympics. And it's a way to celebrate the human spirit. So think of the, the AAU, the American Athletic Union. It is a, the Amateur Athletic Union in the United States. It is a systemized way to absorb young people in to play sport so that they can grow into the values of sport and some of them go on to play pro ball. The values, you can put yourself on mute because I'm getting some feedback over here. The values that Africans and African-Americans need to sit and hash out and discuss with one another that play out in human interaction when we break bread together, when we play sport together, when we manage and organize our futures together is a beginning step in us engaging in larger commerce and in larger social connectivity. The sisters, Simi spoke of um, youth and teaching them to be employed and earn income. When we come into African-American communities, we often see stores and shops owned by other ethnic groups. Get our Chinese carryout food, and you see very few Africans creating Chinese carryout food. Uh, we go get our, our dry cleaners done and the various bodegas in New York and smaller stores in other communities around the country, 7-Elevens, et cetera. Uh, here in the United States, people of Indian descent own 61% of the hotels, 61% of the hotels in the hospitality and the tourism industry, which is a huge growth industry because people are constantly going to travel and look for hospitality and tourism. We need an economic platform that teaches our young people how to earn revenue, how to bring value to the marketplace, how to use their God-given talents and passions while we expose them in a way that they generate revenue because people need food, shelter, and clothing. And when we begin to, to show our young people and we begin to interact as adults in a manner where we're building clothing together, 
We're sharing food together. We're building shelter together. Come on our farms and see how we grow food. You're now here. I know you want to get your food from Publix or 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 Whole Foods or whatever grocery store, but no, we have farms. So we need to develop together the systems to leverage the resources we have to the benefit of the Africans arriving in the states and the Africans here in the states in a manner that's mutually beneficial to both parties, in my opinion. Thank you for the question. This time we're going to turn the mic over to my co-host, M2. He may have a question or some comments he'd like to make, Brother M2. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Lee. Thank you. I just want to uh, kind of speak to what the brother was saying um, as far as, you know, we needed to be showing our youth these things, how to de- to develop an economical structure uh, as well as the political structure, um, because that's something that I, I struggle with here myself, you know, um, as a local business owner, small business owner. Um, I've watched, you know, as he said, we see these other um, cultures and ethnicities. Um, you know, when you go to these Asian you know, restaurants or stores, and you see that they have their young there. They might not be at the register, That's right. but they're in the environment, which is allowing them mm-hmm. to pick up on what is going on. And we see, even when we do that as African people here in America, um, when we try to do that, it's hindrance. You know, as I say, you know, I, I do that at my place of business. And the politics and in, into in, in where um, I conduct business, they won't allow me to bring my children to be spectators of what is going on. And to me, it, you know, mm, it, is, um, it is damaging or it isn't confusing. I understand where it comes from because they don't want us to be able to pass these things down. That's See, right. the system is That's designed right. for us to not teach other African children any of these things because it's designed right. for us to be workers, to continue to be slaves. Exactly. So we have to struggle even harder um, Mm -hmm. to push that propaganda to our children, to become business owners, to start small gardens, um, as the brother said, you know, um, that shows us farming. You know, we do that with our children, with our youth. You know, we have gardens in the back showing them how to grow tomatoes and peppers and those type of things. That's real power, you know, because all these things are, are, are tools and weapons of the war against the continent of Africa and her children. So we have to struggle even harder Mm -hmm. to show our children a different role and a different rope in this revolution. We want to, you know, give our children the material things that we didn't have growing up, and we still lack um, the substance, you know. We still lack the ideology. We still lack um, culture, you know. We, We give on what is the Western culture, which has been forced upon us, and then we take it and say, oh, this is African culture, because even Africans from the continent come here and practice this because of the propaganda that they see on the TV, because in their countries they're colonized by the, the Western imperialists. So then they come here with, with you know. So we have to, um, as the brother said, we have to figure out more ways um, to create the condition to, to teach our children uh, revolutionary acts with things like, you know, um, being, you know, political educators um, for the revolution, you know, building revolutionary consciousness, um, building mm-hmm. our own own businesses and our own schools um, and things Amen. like that. Um, so, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just speaking to say that uh, we have to struggle harder for these things. 
in order to combat imperialism, especially capitalism, because that's what that's right. that is the the number one thing that is holding us back is is not having an, uh, a relationship with import export, you know, mm-hmm. um, with, like you know, building a relationship like like we have with the sister Celine or sisters, you know, or brothers and sisters globally, you know, as the brother was speaking on taking on Marcus Garvey ideology. The first thing he did was was build the um, the Back to Africa line. Mm-hmm. He got both. And he was a publisher. He was, and he, he was, he a, was publisher. a publisher. That's right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Import, import, mm-hmm. export, import, export of the goods as well as import, export of the mind. Of the knowledge. That's you know, right, brother. Of the, of the knowledge and the information, you know. So when we find it hard, you know, just like here, you know, we can buy all the Nkrumah books and the Sekou Touré and we can find those things. But on the continent where it was developed, they don't have it because it was burned down. You know, the imperialist, when he came, he burned all the books in the libraries the same way that, that, you know, Alexander the Great and them did. So that way we we would know. So they took all of that information out. So they have access to a lot of the material that we need um, as far as cloth, clothing, some of the fruits and foods and things like that. And we have the access to the information that they put forth for us so we can bring that back to them. So, you know, that... um, you know that connection and that relationship is 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 well needed. Thank Can you. I respond just a little bit? You said quite a bit in there. If I may respond just a bit. So 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 a couple of things, right? On the commercial side of things, just in terms of me and my, we start where we are. So I took my little babies who you know create art and they they paint and will do it listening to um, Olatunde Babatunde uh, playing the drums. And there's a certain spirit in the painting. And my daughter turned to me once. She said, Daddy, I want some money. And, you know, I give her money. But I said, well, would you be willing to sell your art? She said, sure, Daddy. So we go in the neighborhood, and we start knocking on doors. And, you know, she started meeting the neighbors. And she meet the neighbors, and she has to articulate what she's doing on their stoop. On their stoop. She's there to sell her art. And they ask her questions, well, what grade are you in? And, and it's a she, it's a community building exercise. It's a commercial exercise. It's her realizing she can create something of value and bring it into the marketplace, and people are going to put quote unquote money in her hand, exchange value in her hand. There's an organization called the International Chamber of Commerce. The International Chamber of Commerce. Certain nation states are in it. Certain nation states are not. Those that are in it. The ICC, International Chamber of Commerce, represents 41 million businesses globally. In the United States, there are 31 million businesses. According to the U.S. Black Chamber of Commerce, before COVID, of course, there was 1.5 million black businesses. There's 1.5 million non-government organizations in the United States of America. According to the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, they have 4.6 million businesses. So business is important to life, and whether we use a cooperative economic model where the business is a co-op and we're all putting in social social and we're sharing collectively in, in an egalitarian uh, manner or whether people, because there are people out there operating in a capitalist system, and they don't want to be a pure capitalist, exploit and take everything out of the worker, they do want to have some sense of of, of, of mutual benefit, so they may have employee-owned stock option plans, et cetera. And international language is a language of business. 
And everywhere we go, we need certain things. We need air. We need beverage. We need food. We need clothing. We need shelter. And if we begin to engage in mutual beneficial business arrangements with our brother, our kith and kin, arriving in the United States from Africa, those of us traveling to the African continent, we can begin to build commerce in a way that's mutually beneficial. Thank you, brother. Um, let me stop right here and we bring in a former student. Since we're talking about students and youth, he's a former student and a graduate of Harvard University, uh, Brother Anthony Williams, and I'd like to have him to interject in this discussion as it relates to this whole question of looking at the role of students. How can we create the climate where students will become more responsible to Africa uh, Africa liberation? And also, Sister Celine, I'd like for you to respond to, again, you said something really interesting about Africa brain drain, like a lot of African youth are leaving the continent. What is the African leadership doing in the area of education that will maybe transform that way of thinking and encouraging the Africans to stay at home? But first, let me bring in Brother Anthony, get him to respond, and then Celine, we'd like to hear your response to that question. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on Move, African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, 2022. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Brother Africa, and revolutionary greetings uh, to uh, Brother uh, Mutu and our uh, guests, Celine and, and, and Brother Dr. Uh, Rogers, uh, and the listening audience. Uh, my thoughts on this is that um, is that we have to educate our youth uh, to be the spark of revolutionary change, and uh, we have to not leave the education of our youth up to our enemies or to people that don't know anything about our history and culture. And that's a critical mistake that a lot of us are making. Uh, we, uh, we are not uh, making sure that our youth know and understand our history and uh and our our role in terms of uh human development and uh we have to do a better job in that area and um you know it's great to see that there's some Africans that are trying to uh uh change that uh that narrative but we need more of us to do that. And uh, we have to be better organized as a people in order, to, uh, in order for that change to be more permanent and uh, not just uh, merely a trend that goes in and out of fashion. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think the work uh, that Sister Celine and uh, uh, Brother uh, Dr. Rogers is doing is very important. It's a very con important contribution to our struggles worldwide. 
It's just that we have to uh, spread it so that more people are doing that sort of thing. Sister Celine, in Cameroon, what what would be the general percentage of the national budget goes into education in terms of making sure the kind of textbooks and the information that our youth receive today are more appropriate to the well-being of that country interest and African interest. Um, do we have African writers in Cameroon that can write their own books? If not, why not? Celine, speaking of those particular phenomena that are taking place, not only in Cameroon, but throughout the African world. Uh, yes, uh, Brother Africa. Thank you very much. We have so many writers. So many, so many writers in uh, Cameroon that are writing books. There are so many writers. Every year the government has to select the books that they want uh, children to read in school among the, the, the writers because there are so many. We have so many people that are writing books in Cameroon. But the problem is is doing orientation, to orientate the children to what their future is supposed to be. That is my problem. Not general education. They just teach them. They teach English. They teach French. They teach mathematics. They teach geography. They teach history. And so on and so forth. But at at the end, those children, they are not orientated in a way that they can fend for themselves. They can look for jobs for themselves instead of waiting for the government and blaming the government every day and then leaving the country to go out for greener pastures. And every year we are losing thousands of our best students in the Mediterranean Sea who were struggling to go to Europe. How can we change this situation? How can that situation be changed? What can we do to create jobs for Africa, for our African students? I myself, I don't know what can be done. But it's a question, it's a burden that is in my heart. How can we do, what can we do to even educate those who are school dropouts? Because as they have dropped out of school, some of them have entered the bushes, they are are thieves. They come and arrest people and take to the bush to ask for ransom. I am even going to Southwest like that, I'm just praying that God should protect me. Because they can even kidnap me to the bush for money. And there's no way I can absent the death of my in-law. So we, we move around in certain places in the country hiding. Because you can be kidnapped for ransom. They kidnap people, they ask for three million, they ask for five million, they ask for, they just ask money which they themselves cannot even work for it, even for five, for 10 years. But they just ask gifts. 
and your, your family will begin to run up and down looking for money to give them in the bushes there. It's not easy. Not easy. You know, for our listening audience, Celine talking about the so-called um, re- reactionary forces, i.e. Boca Ramon, that is going throughout the country raising havoc on the people. And we know a lot of these forces that have been created in Africa are directly acting out the policies of the West. I mean, you know, they know who they are. They're the ones who financing them. So the question becomes in this sense is how do Africans around the world change those countries' foreign policies that engage terrorism against their brothers and sisters in Africa? That is the question or one of the major questions. And it only become worse since there is even more military units on the continent under the disguise of what they call Afrikan. So all of these are issues that are affecting our youth and our ability to be able to to properly develop that we collectively as African people must um must speak to. And this is where it takes upon itself to do what you can to help many of these orphans who have lost lives due to these through the terrorist acts that are being sponsored by the West. So anyway, what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a, a rough culture break, and when we come back, we will continue the discussion as we deal with students are the spot and their role in revolution. This is Africa on the Moon. Welcome to African Liberation Day, Palestine Day 2022. As we continue to celebrate 64 years of African Liberation Day and 74 years of Enochmark Day, Palestine Day. We're going to be right back and like this question of will there be repression? Repression, there will be resistance. We constantly always fight for our freedom and we do it in different forms. Here for the next few minutes, you're going to hear our revolutionary artists express themselves as a formal, as a formal fighting back this oppression that our people face on a daily basis. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the move. Michael, eles não ligam pra gente.
called African Liberation Day and African in Nakbak Palestine Day. We're celebrating six four years of African Liberation Day and seventy four years uh in Nakbak Day, Palestine Day. The things um trans transferring from generation to generation institutions. This is what institutions do. And this institution, this great institution, African Liberation Day, is a institution that came out of the reality of fighting for a revolutionary change, fighting for freedom, fighting for resistance, and they will never accept oppression. Today is a form of this resistance. And right now, we're going to be speaking with two revolutionaries who've been in the battlefield, who've been on the battlefield for many years, fighting for the freedom of Africa and African people in their own way. We have Brother Kweku Lumumba, who worked with COSA, who is a political organization, party that based in Haiti, and we have with us an educator as well as a political organizer, Brother Professor Neil Holmes. He also come and share his perspective on our topic tonight. Students are the spark. The role of students and youth in revolution. So right now what we're going to do, we're going to bring in Brother Kweku and we're going to say welcome to Africa on Move and African Liberation Day, Palestine Day 2022 under the banner of the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC. Brother Kweku, Welcome, and like always, I basically would like you just give us a brief introduction of who you are and what you do, my brother. Sure. First off, thank you for inviting me to the program. It's always an honor to be with comrades, and it's always an honor to speak on the occasion of African Liberation Day. And um, my, as far as myself, I serve in the capacity of External Relations Coordinator for COSA. That stands for Combit Citoyen Socialiste Pusovi Haiti which uh, roughly means socialist citizens working together to save Haiti. That is a socialist organization that is uh, based in IET and was created by Haitians and led by Haitians. And I'm glad to have been elected to that post to serve and advance um, that organizational aspiration of advancing socialism and pan-Africanism in IET for the 21st century. So uh, we are also celebrate. I must remark that we have commemorated the fifth annual African Liberation Day organizing in IET yesterday that has been organized by COSA, and we will continue to make it bigger and better every year in Haiti um, so that it can become a national phenomenon for the first time in that nation of liberty. Okay, my brother, when we talk about Students are the spot. We talk about students in the revolution. Uh, can you talk to us about the present status, conditions of the nature of students in Haiti and the Haiti movement that's going on? Just give us some 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 dynamics on some of some of the issues that's confronting the students today, and what role the students plans for trying to liberate Haiti as well as to help liberate our motherland, our land, Mother Africa. Absolutely. And I think it's important for people to understand when they look at Haiti to understand that the young people there um, have aspirations just like young people anywhere else in the world, that these young African people want to get higher education, 
They want to get skills so they can contribute to building the nation and also providing for their families. And so when the corporate media may show them as being impoverished and needing handouts just to get by, it's not handouts that our, our young brothers and sisters need. It is opportunities that they need, just like any African person anywhere in the world needs opportunities. And they will take advantage of those opportunities, and they do. Unfortunately, the vast majority of our, our young people, on a daily basis, their ability to access these educational opportunities are disrupted because there is not a socialist paradigm in Haiti where education is guaranteed to all. So you have so many young people, so many that I know of personally, who don't know if they're going to be able to finish out their school year from month to month, really, because their parents are pressured or their guardians are pressured just to make sure that they can provide the tuition that they need to pay for them to finish school. And some of these students who go to school, they go to school and they don't have anything. They don't have backpacks. They may not have clean uniforms or, or sturdy uniforms. They may not have food at home. They may not have food when they get to the schools. But they're still going to these schools whenever they can so they can get the education that will give them greater opportunities to advance not only themselves but their families, their communities, and the nation. And so anytime we see the things that are happening as far as the violent disruptions that are facilitated and promoted by empire, like the United States government, then we understand that this also disrupts their ability to access these opportunities. So there's economic barriers. There are military imperialist barriers. And, of course, there's just day-to-day -day struggle for these students to be able to advance themselves. The, the Haitian population, the average age is, oh, the median age is 24 years old. So think about that. That's college age. 24 years old is the median age of the nation. So when we talk about young people and opportunities, the vast majority of the Haitian population falls into that category because they are the ones who will determine the, the destiny of the nation, not the elders, because they are not the majority. That's not the average of the nation. And we're talking about a nation of over 10 million people, over 11 million people now. And the diaspora has to be included in that because the diaspora helps to mitigate some of those economic issues because they're sending millions and millions and millions of dollars back to the nation just to help those students get through and get those opportunities. So that's, you know, that's an important material situation to understand in IET when we talk about the students. Okay, in terms of their activism politically to fight for their freedom, their liberation in Haiti, um, how would you assess their participation and how important is it for them to participate? not only just students in, in Haiti, but students in general as relates to the condition of African people. It's, it's vital. Um, and I'll say, when we say students, I think it's also important to note that that does not just mean those young people who are enrolled in, a, in an institution which is called a school or a university. It's important to know that nature, historically, in Haiti and in African culture in general, is and has always been our school, our first school. The mother has been and always has been and always will be our first teacher. So it's important to understand that every single African child is a student 
from the moment of birth. The mother is the first teacher. And we have seen that example time and time again successfully raise up revolutionaries. Even if we go back to the first emperor, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, 33 years old when the Haitian Revolution began. But he was being trained in revolution from his childhood by his adopted mother or auntie, Tatoya, Agbaraya Toya, who raised him. She was from Africa. She was from Dahomey. And she raised him in the warrior skills and the leadership skills as a child in enslavement to understand how to liberate his people from enslavement as a general in the military and then lead his people as an emperor of the nation after victory. Again, Henri Christophe, who was a revolutionary in that same revolution. He was 24 years old when the revolution began. Now, he was trained in revolution in the American Revolution. In Savannah, Georgia, there is a statue where he was the drummer boy. He was fighting as a prepubescent child, African child, in the American Revolution. And he took those skills and those aspirations of those revolutionaries back to IET as a young man and fought in the Haitian Revolution, and where he was able to then become a king after the assassination betrayal of Jean-Jacques Dessalines. He was able to become a king of the kingdom in the north and continue to carry forth the revolutionary mandate of liberté or la mort. Cécile Fatima, who was the mumbo in the Boakai Moss ceremony, or the Congress, that launched the successful Haitian Revolution in 1791, she was reported to be a teenager. This is a young woman who had the gall and the experience and from her environment and nature and culture to be able to lead successful revolution. And these are all young people who did not have the opportunity to access an established school building or a, an established university system. These are Africans who learn first from their mothers and from their environment, from nature, so that they could successfully lead a revolution. So we have to go back to those examples because we would be remiss to not mention those kinds of examples and only talk about those people who have the opportunity to enroll in a school as a student as we conventionally think of it. So it's important for those to be the models for those many dropouts in IET who had to drop out because they could not afford to finish school, those many university dropouts who had to drop out because bombs were dropped or guns were fired in their neighborhood or the schools themselves had to shut down because of the pandemic or because of a lack of resources to the university. All those things are important. So anyone listening, if you have not finished school or you had to drop out, you are still a student with the capacity to advance revolution because you are still part of nature and you can still learn from those young revolutionaries who did not have the chance to enroll in universities and schools before you. So I must say that. You know, Brother Lumumu, when we talk about issues that are affecting the students and the youth, when we say students, we talk about students and the youth. When we look at issues that are affecting them, one of the things we notice real clearly in Haiti and many movements is that the political leadership seems to have 
align themselves up with the enemy. And they view the students, their own student youth, as the enemy to their well-being. So can you speak to this whole phenomenon, this question of neocolonialism, the leadership within our communities, and how they are playing as a, they are participating as a means of um, not looking out for the interests of our students and to allow them to be students so they can play that proper role of fighting for a better each, a better generation, for each each generation to the next one. Can you just speak to that phenomenon? Yes, and it's important to understand that a lot of these complicit leaders, so-called, have gone to school. They have graduated and gotten degrees. A lot of times they've been paid for by imperialists. That's why they serve the interests of the imperialists, because they're in their pocket, so to speak. But they also understand that the educated soldier is a threat to the imperialist establishment because this educated soldier is not necessarily going to be a tool or a zombie, as Fela Kuti would put it, who just follows orders and goes left, right, kills whoever the general says or whoever the president or the prime minister or the secretary of state says to kill or to shoot. That this politically educated soldier can then lead up the masses to take down the imperialist system and create a just system. Now, we look at the scenario in Haiti where students in school, they are reading from books. They're not printed from revolutionary institutions. I remember looking at a book and talking to a couple of students who were enrolled in a school, and I was looking through it, and it had information about the history of Haiti. It had some African history in regard to um, figures like Narmer in, uh, in Egypt, ancient Kemet, um, different places in Ethiopia and things like that. There was general African history. But when it came down to the political history of revolutionary Haiti, there were things that were omitted. There were blatant lies in there. And I remember looking at it and saying, wait a minute. Jean-Jacques Dessalines was never a president, but this book, which was printed in France, said that Jean-Jacques Dessalines was the first president of IET, which means that they had presented this history of IET that whitewashes the revolutionary aspect of what was established after successful independence and establishment of the nation. It was established as a nation of liberty, an empire, in fact, with an emperor, not a republic. And there were certain things put in place that established it as a socialist paradigm before Karl Marx was born. So we understand, as Kwame Ture would mention, that socialism is not something that a European created. It is not something that is either European or African or Asian, different kinds of socialism. It is a paradigm that is natural in its evolution from other economic paradigms. And it is one in which African people were naturally progressing toward before we were disrupted in our pan-African progress by European invaders and, and imperialists. 
And so Jean-Jacques Dessalines, being trained by his mother from Dahomey, from that empire in Africa, understood this. And he wanted to continue this African progress in socialism, continue our forward march toward Pan-Africanism. And so that is the threat of an educated leader, an educated soldier, and educated masses to this imperialist paradigm. We see that just a small percentage of educated Africans can disrupt the imperialist paradigm, as we did in Haiti in the 18th and 19th century. So just imagine an entire continent, an entire country of Africans who are educated in the right political perspective. Imagine what we can do and what we will do in the name of Pan-Africanism and African Liberation Day and scientific socialism. You know, um, the moment one of the things you said students are the spark, I'd like for you just give that uh, interpretation of adaptive theme, students are the spark. And why are they the spark? Because that's the question. And maybe that's the reason why you find a lot of these intelligence agencies, whether uh, the FBI, the CIA, or National um, Endowment Democracy, they have strategically found ways to try to take take the so-called best and the brightest students and turn them into agents. Agents, how uh, you found that phenomenon taking place greatly in, within the Haitian movement, like it has throughout the African world. Undoubtedly, I'll tell you a personal account. I remember one day living in Haiti. I was in Gonaïf, and there was a protest that was organized and led by young students who were in school on a school day, and they took the initiative to protest the imperialist incursions on Haitian liberty, Haitian sovereignty, and Haitian dignity. And so they refused to go to class, and they made the public scene of this protest, nonviolent, mind you. Now, this was, of course, during the period of United Nations military occupation of the island. Stood there and faced the tanks, faced the tear gas, faced the rubber bullets of the United Nations soldiers. All of those soldiers who had come from various places across the world to occupy the nation of Haiti in the name of quote-unquote, peacekeeping. These students stood there and took all of that. And I remember the students running through, I'm talking about 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-, 15-year-olds, running through the street after they had been tear gassed. And the adults who were doing their business on the street had to disperse because of this tear gas. And they didn't know what was going to happen because these blue caps had been notorious about even killing people in neighborhoods, in the streets. And I remember seeing one of the tear gas canisters and seeing where it was made, said manufactured in the USA. So we have a clear example, and there are many more, of these young students 
standing up to the imperial might of the United States of America, using something like peacekeeping forces of the United Nations to hold them in captivity. These students, with nothing but their education and their youth and their African pride, standing up against all of that, just as their ancestors did against the great empires of the European imperialists being able to stand there successfully. And they will remember that. And they carry that into many of the marches and successful revolts and protests that the world got to witness during the past years or so, in which you had countless droves of young Haitian people, many students who had organized these protests to hold the imperialists accountable for stealing money, disrupting the economy, and for killing their brothers and sisters. They held everything captive because they were educated and they were coming to understand that they had the power to change situations in Haiti. And so that is where we're now seeing a phase of that mass mobilization, just as we saw with students, um, for example, in the, in the, the freedom struggle of the 1950s and 60s, that mass mobilization lead to mass organization, where we got to see a lot of those students, Kwame Ture being one of them, who then led a movement into mass organization toward Pan-Africanism. We're seeing that same phenomenon happen right now in IET, where that mass movement of the past several years are leading now to mass organizations like COSA, that organize according to revolutionary principles toward Pan-Africanism. And we have, you know, the example here that we are representing that organization right now for all of your listeners on this radio conversation now. Brother Muma, I'm going to my co-host right now. He may have a comment or question you'd like to ask you as it relates to students and you as it relates to their realities inside of the Haitian movement. Of them too, the mic is yours. Um, yes, thank you, thank you. Um, I can't really speak much to the uh, youth in the Haitian movement. Um, I don't know much about them, so I can't, you know, give a particular opinion on it. Um, but I know as far as our youth here in the states, and from what I've seen uh, on the continent. I do know that, um, as we've been continuously saying, that there's a dire need for there to be um, a revolutionary consciousness developed inside of these movements, uh, not just a progressive um, education. Uh, We need to direct our youth more towards discussing the things, our material conditions, physical conditions, that we uh, understand. Uh, so I, I can't speak much to, to that topic. That's no problem. Let's make our transition to our former student at Howard University, Brother Anthony. You hear what my brother, you hear what my brother had to say about what's going on here as it relates to the student and youth. Are there any comments or questions you'd like to have for them? I do have a, a question uh, for uh, 
uh, uh, for the brother. Um, to my knowledge, Haiti is not at war with any country that I'm aware of. How is it that UN peacekeepers are intervening in Haiti? And, uh, you know, that it doesn't relate to the youth directly necessarily, but that is a general question that I have. How did uh, UN, how, why are the UN peacekeepers in Haiti when Haiti is not at war with any nation presently? That is, that's a beautiful question, and you're correct. Haiti is not at war with any nation, but they're, they have always been the victims of aggression because of imperialism. And their successful victory um, in, in their war against imperialism in 1804, these empires that want to keep the slave system intact in whatever form that they seem or they deem fit, these are the enemies of IET. These are the enemies of African liberation. And so that happens to be the United States currently today. And now I'm not talking about the average person walking around and, and making it through their daily lives that have U.S. citizenship. I'm talking about those actors, often unelected actors, in U.S. government and behind U.S. government institutions that continue to perpetuate a policy of keeping Haiti under their boot. And we have seen that formulated formally since 1915, when the United, before the United Nations existed, sent its Marines in to occupy Haiti. It's not because Haiti was attacking the United States. It, because, it was because the United States deemed Haiti as a geostrategic necessity because of what was going on in regard to World War I. They were afraid that the Germans would take over that space in the same way that they were afraid that the Russians or the, U, the USSR, the Soviet Union, would take over the space of Cuba in the 1960s. And we can see that even though Cuba is not at war with the United States, the United States has had an economic war against Cuba since that time in the form of their sanctions and has never lifted it. So the United States did the same thing in regard to Haiti since 1915 because they were afraid that their enemies abroad would use Haiti against the United States. So they took first action to occupy Haiti, put a position in place. The U.S.-Haiti Convention of 1915 that gave the United States the right, at least in the, according to them and the puppet that president that they put in place, to control situations economically, politically, and militarily so that they could even send their troops in anytime they saw fit into Haiti. And we saw that happen in, after the coup d'etat in which uh, Aristide was taken up. If you remember, during the Bush administration, the, the George W. Bush administration in 2004, when the president of Haiti, the coup 
against him. We saw the U.S. military go in and swoop him up and then take him to Africa, if you remember. Now, the U.S. military doesn't do that in, in most cases where there's a coup. They just fly into a nation and pick up a president. So it, it, it's, it's something that it would do in one of its states if the governor was threatened to send in the, the National Guard to protect the governor against a, a potential uprising, so on and so forth. But what has happened since then is the United States saw the United Nations as a better proxy force because the United States exercises so much force on the UN Security Council as a permanent member that it could use the United Nations peacekeeping force as its military force of occupation instead of sending in the U.S. Marines, which makes it very obvious that the United States is doing untoward things in Haiti. You can't protest the United Nations peacekeeping force as effectively as you can, you can protest the U.S. Marines, because as we saw with the cholera situation that happened after the 2010 earthquake in IET, where the U.N. soldiers, because they were defecating and throwing their waste into the rivers, to the clean freshwater pools of Haiti, they ended up contaminating the freshwater table in Haiti with cholera, which is a problem to this day. But Haiti cannot simply sue the United Nations because you have to now take that up in international court against each nation, 56 nations now that were involved in this U.N. Uh, peacekeeping force. Fifty-six nations have to be litigated again in order for you to have any successful move against what happened. That's a lot more conniving, a move by the United States, than to send in its U.S. Marines and then have Haiti be able to sue or go to international court against the United States. So we have to be really clear in understanding how empire operates in the 21st century using these proxy forces under the guise of neocolonialism so that it can appear to have its hands clean when in fact it has its hands on the strings of everything. So we as revolutionaries and friends and comrades of those revolutionaries on the ground, those students, those young people, those sparks, we have to help them see these things through education so that they can cut those strings and actually advance the cause of African liberation in the 21st century. And Brother Lamuma, we're going to have to move on. What we're going to ask you to do is maybe say a few encouraging words to the students and youth of Haiti and you know, the rest of the African diaspora and tell people how we can get more information about your organization and the work that you are doing. Well, for the students in IET, with the Kimbela, Kimbe l'esprit, Kimbe révolution, parce que où c'est peuple africain, petit africain, où c'est ton descendant Jean-Jacques Dassalin, ton descendant Henri Christophe, ton descendant Cécile Fatima, ton descendant Bondier, non Bondier, non nous-mêmes. And for all those revolutionaries, potential revolutionaries, and those students who are the sparks, remember that we have always been the sparks in every revolution, in every movement 
forward for liberation. That will always be the case. Honor your mothers, honor nature, and honor your ancestors. And if you're interested in contacting COSA, the website is K-O-S-S-S-A.com. Once again, that is COSA.com, K-O-S-S-S-A.com. And if you would like to uh, call, the number is 404-884-6638. Once again, 404-884-6638. That is the External Relations Office. And if you happen to want to uh, connect and organize, we welcome you. And on that note, Brother Lamuma, we'd like to thank you for celebrating with us our continuation of 64 years of African Liberation Day and 74 years of Inakbar Day, Palestine Day. Uh, much um, luck in terms of and success in terms of your continued struggle for Africa and African people and the struggle for Pan-Africanism. We thank you very much and send our revolution love to our brothers and sisters in Haiti. We thank you. And thank you. Forward to revolution. All right. At this point in time, you listen to Africa on the Moon, co-sponsor of this year's activities under the banner of the All-African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. We're going to take a revolutionary break. And when we come back, we're going to share some solidarity messages that was given and written and directed to the All-African People Revolutionary Party, GC, as it relates to this year, African Liberation Month, and their continuing work of trying to unify and liberate our people on a global basis for the injuries of freeing Africa. We're going to come back with some solidarity statements with my brother Anthony. Then we'll follow by a continued discussion on students out of spot, students in revolution, with educators and professors, Neil Holmes and Mbulu. This is Africa on the Moon.
like his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. I'm all about peace and love. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yes. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Calling him a terrorist. Okay, one nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mossadegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. Just bombed an African country like... 
was getting Bomb Obama didn't say shoot. The Jonas Brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. <laughs> you will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. And 74 years of Enochma Day, Constantine Day, under the banner of the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. We're speaking on the theme or topic today, which is students are the spot, the lowest students in revolution. Right now, we have messages from around the world. We're going to bring in Brother Anthony. He's going to share with you some solidarity statements. Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Brother Africa, uh, first of all, I would like to share um, uh, to share a statement from our, uh, our co-organizer, uh, co the National Council of Arab Americans, uh, from... Uh, Jafar Jafari. Dear brothers, sisters, and comrades, our joint dedication to freeing our peoples from imperialism, colonialism, and Zionism is an ongoing struggle against the common enemy. Our aggregate struggle witnessed many accomplishments and victories, and some severe setbacks highlighted by assassinating our leaders in Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East. Yet, the struggle continues due to the renewed dedication of new generations of determined people to carry the torch of freedom to the end. It is crucially important to carry out the armed struggle to realize the broader objectives of defeating colonialism and Zionism. But more importantly, it is to be dedicated to a just cause, worthy of sacrifices. Our revered Thomas Sankara of Burkina Faso warned African leaders to challenge the Western debt choking the continent's stability and independence. In a speech to the African Unity Meeting in Addis Ababa in 1986, he called for the cancellation of our foreign debt and say our debt will not be paid. Ignoring his revolutionary vision, African countries consequently surrendered their autonomy to the European colonialists increasing their debt size and denying the new generation's decent living standards. 
Sankara was universally acknowledged to be incorruptible, a trait found in Africa's giants, Nkrumah, Sekretary, Gamal Abdel Nasser, and many others. They, in the aggregate, were not known for empty rhetoric and cliches. Rather, they were committed to acting and directly confronting Western imperialism, driven by a resolute commitment to justice. Our generation owes a tremendous debt to those leaders before us determined to build alternative future free from colonial oppression. Since Sankara's murder in October 1987, social advances and progressive changes he initiated were revoked. And by, but by 2014, Burkina Faso was considered one of the poorest countries in the world. How Sankara's legacy endured all these years, however. On this occasion of African Liberation Day, and Palestine Solidarities Day, we salute our heroes and comrades who fought against colonialism and Zionism, both ills challenging our collective aspiration to freedom and independent development. In Palestine, a faulty leadership vision of accommodation with the enemy has led to more lands being expropriated, more people jailed by the Zionists, and loss of hope, only temporarily. The enemy's dedication to his goal of cleansing the land of its righteous owners has produced a negative effect, leading to more popular engagement and the will to fight, as evidenced in the daily confrontations encompassing wider sectors of society. This is certainly a bright development and a fundamental addition to the global struggle against oppression, colonialism, and Zionism. The legacy of our murdered leaders continues to guide the current path of struggle until aggregate goals of freedom and independence are achieved. Okay. All right. Uh, we have another statement from one of our, uh, from a representative of one of the indigenous organizations, uh, uh, Penny Gamble Williams. Aquene, peace, with gratitude I greet you. My name, Penny Gamble Williams, an enrolled member and spiritual leader of the Chappaquiddick tribe of the Wampanoag nation of Massachusetts. I reside in Maryland on the land of the Piscataway, Kanoi, Nakochank people. This is the place where the mighty Chesapeake, Potomac, Anacostia, and Patuxent converged into the Atlantic Ocean. Since the new people invaded Turtle Island, Indigenous women have been on the front line to protect children, elders, and Mother Earth. From the Arctic, Canada, the U.S., Central America, South America, all of the islands, Africa, India, Asia, and islands in the Pacific, women have had to fight for respect. 
Today we are all faced with so many life challenges. As indigenous women, violence, war, loss of land, food insecurity, poverty, missing and murdered women have only gotten worse. The more our Mother Earth is trashed, poisoned, and stripped of resources that should be left in the ground, the more likely indigenous women, elders, and children will be abused. Colonization and corporate greed rule the world, standing up for the earth, and women will shift the energy. Understanding our connection and relationship to the earth and to every one will be beneficial for the survival of humanity. There are a lot of women who will not stop working to protect their children, elders, and the water. The power of indigenous women on the front line will not stop. One earth, one love. Thank you. Blessings to you all. Aquene, peace. Thank you, Brother Anthony. We now make a transition to Brother Neil Holmes, educator, political organizer, representative of PISP, and many other hats he wear from time to time. Brother Neil, we'd like to thank you for coming to help celebrate with us this year, African Liberation Day, Palestine Day. Welcome. Uh, thank you very much for having me on here. Brother Neil, our theme is dealing with students out of spot, the world students of revolution. Over most of your life, you've been a student and you've been working and educating students. Now, can you talk about the, the, the transition of maybe looking at the behavior of the students today versus the students when you were the students as it relates to understanding the necessity to fight for a revolution and not necessarily just reforms? Um, where do you see the present status of students today, African youth? Well, I, I think um, I think it's like what we call a dialectical process when you look at uh, students um, from one period to, to the other in terms of what they're doing um, and how they are fighting and so forth. For instance, um, I was a student, a university student in the 70s, a high school student and an elementary student in the 50s and 60s. And inside of the old school system that some people call the segregation system, in elementary school, we were well aware, at least in our elementary school, we were well aware of events in Ghana. When Nkrumah came to power, we were students. Events in uh, the Congo, with Lumumba, events in Cuba uh, when uh, Castro came to um, power. And and so it was explained to us that all of these things were positive and they were too, and that we were, that we were connected to that. So uh, this, this, the things that were happening in the 50s and 60s and then developed more in the 70s, were all things that uh, students were aware of to to some extent because uh, we had we were in a situation that had been set up by our the elders before us to give us that information 
And even if you look at the what we usually think of as the student movement of the 60s, um, if you look at SNCC as uh, student um, uh, student um, coordinating committee, if you look at that as the uh, probably the highest representative of that, you see that it was organized by someone, Ella Baker, who had been a member of another SNCC uh, uh, student uh, Negro Youth Council back in the 20s. And so she, as an elder now, is bringing her experience as student to the students of the 60s. And those students, again, and so forth and so on. So it's a kind of a dialectical process. Each generation is um, fertilizing the next generation and and uh, each generation trying to grab something um, from its, you know, what it can grab, hold, and build and, and, and hold on to that till the next generation because we're in a protracted, kind of struggle. Franz Fanon said each generation, rough, you know, I'm paraphrasing, each generation must um, must grab a hold to the task that's in front of it and either deal with those tasks or, or betray, you know, betray the people. He also said we have to understand what came before us. Uh, so, so students have a very important role, and I agree with the brother from COSA, who just spoke recently, the brother from Haiti, who said that you don't necessarily have to be in a university or some institution to be a student. Uh, if we look at Malcolm X, for instance, he was a, uh, a great student. He could go in and, and uh, uh, demolish um, people from some of the greatest universities in the world in terms of when he debated them. Uh, and he learned a lot while he was in prison. He learned he was a constant reader. And so uh, a student is someone who applies a great deal of attention and, and concentration on trying to resolve some of the critical questions that face to our, our people. Now, of course, people on the, what we call the college campus, they have access to resources that have been hidden away from our people. So part of their job is to get that information and get it back out to our people because there are loads of information on these campuses that, that our, our people uh, need. In terms of why students today, uh, how, how do we look at students today versus students uh, during my period? I, I think in some ways we're quite similar and uh, in some ways a little different in the sense that when I was a student, um, we had the benefit of, when I was a college student, we had the benefit of, my generation of college students had the benefit of two decades of, of, of prior mass organizing that provided you kind of a, a push forward to do the work. Um, students now, I think, are doing some important work when we look at this, the kind of demonstrations that swept the country and in the, in the, in, in what has been called the Black Lives Matter movement, the movement that, uh, and, 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 and even before, 
and that movement against police um, murder and brutality and so forth, um, that movement has really kind of swept the country, and and it was so powerful that now we see um, a sort of fascist movement that's being organized <clears throat> to push that movement backwards and to 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 try to defeat it. At the same time, that movement uh, has a lot of different perspectives in it, and one of the things that you know, our movement, the movement that I'm a part of, the Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party, our organization, one of the things that we seek to do is to try to um, help conscientize those students or those young people, many of whom may not may or may not have been students, um, but conscientize those students or politically educate those students, those young people, this generation, into the the necessity of pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism as the uh, objective that should be the objective of African revolutionaries wherever we are. So those young people who've picked up the revolutionary torch, uh, we are trying to put them on the path to, um, on the pan-African path toward uh, uh, revolution. So I think, uh, and, and also uh, one of the other aspects of what has happened since uh, in the past 20, 30, 40 years or so is that the our enemy, capitalism, imperialism, and et cetera, have been on a major um, war path in terms of Corva. Uh, 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 a uh, counter-class struggle against African people and all uh, people around the world. And so someone had talked about the uh, the, the, the debt situation. Um, we've been, uh, our countries have been put into debt. Our people have been put into debt. We've been kicked out of uh, 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 jobs and so forth. In this country, Af- in the United States, African people are roughly 13% of the population but we are 40% of all of the people who are, um, are homeless in the country. We are, uh, let's say, uh, 13% of the people who are in the country, but we are the majority of people who are in prison in the country. So, uh, um, so we can I have... Stop you? Uh-huh. Can I stop you for one second, Mother Neal, and oh, yeah, to yeah. add to your yeah. point so we can get a better picture of it? You do an excellent job. They say we're about 13% of the population when it comes to the health industry. We're about 75 or 80% are the ones who are on dialysis. Something's right. wrong with those numbers. But go ahead, Brother Neil. Yeah, some, something's wrong with those numbers. So we, we, are, we, are, the, we are being, we are, as Kwame Nkrumah said, we are a domestic colony. We are a colony inside of this country. And, uh, and in order for and 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 at the same time we are colony inside this country. Every colony is seeking to have its national independence, and and as he also said, we are part of the African nation, so uh, we are part of that thing. But you know, with this, along with this um, movement against our people, in in economic terms. And in, in terms of the state, in terms of locking our people up, because of the black power movement, 
largely as a response to the Black Power Movement, we, we, we see the state moving to put our people in prison. And as a, as, as a result, and in addition to that, we see an ideological attack in the form of all sorts of uh, popular music and so forth that is designed to uh, push our young people toward a kind of a lumping lifestyle that romanticizes being a lumping as opposed to being a revolutionary uh, student or revolutionary worker. So, so we have a big job uh, to do in terms of working, in terms of uh, moving to get the consciousness of our people raised up. They're also being promoted. They're also being promoted this kind of uh, petty bourgeois bourgeois lifestyle and bourgeois approach to things. So we have a a, a, a person that you just had on your sh- uh, show a minute ago, an individual who could get on the telephone and call his family in Africa, and who turns around and the first thing that he does when he's elected to the Senate in the United States is pass a resolution against Zimbabwe. And when the first thing that he does or one that, uh, when he becomes president is go in and bomb an African country and, and uh, participate in the assassination of, his, of its leader who was involved in the Pan-African uh, project. So so these are some of the people who are held out, held up to our people to emulate, to our youth to emulate. We are told, on the one hand, we are told not to be thugs and not to uh, uh, revert to violence. And on the other hand, uh, we are given the uh, idea that it's okay to send drones out to kill individuals and their teenage children as was done in Yemen or, or, uh, or elsewhere in the world. So, so this is, this is the, um, the dilemma that our young people uh, have to deal with. On the one hand, they have to deal with the fact that we have high levels of homelessness, hunger, all this sort of thing in our communities, many of our communities. And on the other hand, we are told or they are told that the way out is to either be a, 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 a petty bourgeois sellout or to be a, 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 or to become a gangster and and um, and to rip off the people um, so so in between that we have to in the midst of that we have to raise up a revolutionary gen, a generation of youth who have to say that who have to light the way to a uh, to a revolutionary path as Nkuma talked about the revolutionary path toward um, freedom, independence, and justice. And I believe that this is where we are moving today. And Brother Neil, that's a good segue to bring in my next guest. Um, Bring me in as we continue to discuss this important issue for student youth are the spark of the revolution. We're bringing Brother Mbulu, um, he's the founder of Access Book University, an online university. And when we talk about raising the youth consciousness, this is one of the areas that he has chosen to go in. 
So we're going to bring this brother in and ask him to tell us a little something about him and talk about the development of the Asset Books University and why he developed this. Brother Imba, welcome to African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, 2020 and 22. Good to be here, Lee. Good to be in touch with the people and listen to what they're talking about. Um, I'm not going to to say much about a set university. Now, I do have an education course that um, deals with a lot of, but contains a lot of information about what I think the black students should be involved with now, how their values should be oriented, et cetera. What I'm going to do right now, though, is to just go with what you suggested, the role of students and youth in your evolution, mm-hmm. and I'm going to concentrate on um, black people in the United States. And in, in short, that role should be to take us closer back to our roots. Um, the fact that black people in the U.S. of A supported a Back to Africa movement 100 years ago to a greater extent than we do today indicates that we are getting farther and farther away from our roots. Our roots are the source of our essence, of who we really are, and the key producer and preservative of our natural instincts, our innate intelligence, our sense of morality, and our understanding of what role we should be playing in the overall order of things. Our roots are the insurance policy that guarantees that our DNA and everything that it carries will be replicated properly. One of the challenges of each generation is to not get far away from its roots. But recent generations of black people have been remiss in that regard, and we are paying a due price for that lack of vigilance. I do not expect our youth to be able enough or astute enough to recognize that it is the weakest among us who are rewarded by those who abuse us if we have not taught our youth adequately. So I would tell them, I would tell our youth now that it is the weakest among us who are more likely to find upward mobility while we are being dominated by others. It is the weakest among us who are more likely to become rich and famous while we are being dominated by others. It is the weakest among us who are more likely to be heralded and become good, so-called good role models while we are being dominated by others. And it is the weakest of us, the weakest among us, who are more likely to be looked to for leadership and guidance while we are being dominated by others. And I do not expect our youth to be to be astute enough to recognize that when the weakest among us are, in, are imitated and looked upon as leaders and role models, the black community will get so far from its roots that the suffering will be pernicious enough to wear away at the very fabric that holds black communities together. 
So I'm here to tell our youth that now because we have been obligated to operate in a hostile environment for so long, the risk of each generation straying farther and farther away from our roots has been exponentially increased. Since it is not time that creates the distance between a generation and its roots, but a gradual metamorphosis of values, priorities, preferences, and inclinations, young students have to remind themselves to always be aware of where you are in relation to where your roots are. If you are not vigilant, you are vulnerable to being manipulated and converted into a weak but upwardly mobile person, a weak but rich and famous person, a weak but frequently imitated person, and one of the tools used to help our enemies wear out the very fabric that holds us together and keeps us true to who we are. Don't let that become the role you play. That is my message to our youth. Recognize that your role is to reduce the distance created by those of us who were remiss in carrying out our responsibilities. Your role as a young person is to take us back closer to our roots so that we can reassume our proper place in the overall scheme of things. That is, in my opinion, the role of our youth in the revolution. And as I said earlier, I have an education, I have a course called Education 101 on my website at a set university. And in, in that course, there is a lot of information about how black students should be taught, what their priorities should be, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the, um, the website address is A-S-E-T-B-O-O-K-S dot com. That's assetbooks.com. You can click on the Asset University link or the courses link, and it will take people to a list of the courses that they can entertain at that website, and it will take them also to the Education 101 course, where a lot of um, relevant um, articles can be found on this issue. Um, that's, you know, that's about it for for my yeah. presentation. Okay, well done, Brother Ember. Um, and Brother Neil, you can weigh in as well. I was talking to my co-host earlier today, Brother M2, and I can bring him in right now, and I'd like for him to speak to it. But well, he made a real interesting statement, and Brother Embo, he sort of addressed it somewhat. He said that um, you can't blame the youth for what's going on today and make them the fall person. So I can bring him in, Brother M2, speak to that issue, and I would like to have my guests respond to it. Because I think a lot of times, we are presenting you today as being irresponsible and, and responsible for all these deals. And um, I think that's, that's something we've got to be careful with. But M2, 
you can yeah. articulate you, more yeah, because what you had earlier about how people um, blame the youth for things that they are not responsible. I did mind. Right. Yes, they can respond to it. Yeah, um, thank you, brother. Um, yeah, so when we was uh, discussing earlier, um, I was just thinking of, you know, um, I got the thought from, you know, the Whalers, listen to, the, you know, Bob Marley and the Whalers, you know, and, and they have the song, you know, you can't blame the youth, you know, it isn't their fault because we send them to the colonizers' schools to get their educations. We allow them to listen to the music that they listen to and to watch these things on TV. We allow them to teach our children. Um, the generations before us, you know, even the things uh, with revolutionaries, um, a lot of them didn't teach their children these lessons, you know, um, so we can't necessarily blame them. Um, and then they carry on the burdens that we neglected, you know. Um, so when we look at things psychologically, um, even some of the things that we do, we still do some of the things um, as slaves, you know, um, so we can't necessarily blame them. You know, we hear elders say that all the time. You know, or you see, you know, when you hear music, I think about it when I was younger and growing up and, and listening to the ignorant music, you know, your mom or your grandma, you know, they're looking down on it, but it's like you, you're allowing us to do this. What made the way for that? The music, you know, that that's going on now, the generation prior to it opened the door. You know, when you look at the, um, I don't even know, the Cardi B's and the Meg the Stallions, you know, uh, they look towards Little Kim and the Foxy Browns, you know, but we blame the Cardi B's and them up today. You know, they got away from the Queen Latifahs. You don't see the Betty Shabazzes and them, you know, they're not praised anymore. But yet and still we blame the youth. But what was their imagery? You know, we always say, do as I told you, not as you see me do. But, you know, psychologically that isn't realistic. You know, so... um yeah, if you could speak to that, brother. Okay, we go with Ember first and then Brother Neil. Brother Ember, your response. Yeah, um, well, we can't blame the youth at all. Um, like like the brother said, it's a job that we have failed to do. And it's a, it's a situation that was really magnified when we went into this integration thing. Because that was when we ceded authority over our children, over our people. We ceded that authority to white power. And white power will use certain people, the weakest among us, the ones that W.E.B. Du Bois called the talented tent. Those are the weakest among us. They were the ones that were used to present images to our people, that to our youth, that um, that made it easy for them to take on a lifestyle and to take on values that are detrimental to the black community as a whole. You you can expect adults, and when I say adults, I'm talking about people in their late teens on up. Um, you can expect adults to anticipate negative consequences, but you really can't expect young people to understand enough to um, to recognize the total.
consequences, the long-term consequences of what they're doing. So we have not adequately provided our youth with the information they need. And we have not provided them with the leadership they need, the learning they need to understand that all of this stuff, all of this bling bling isn't worth squat. So the failure is on our part. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I definitely know that with my generation, being from the 60s on. The failure is is on our part. Um, and, um, And we're suffering the consequences. And we're suffering it in a way that that we never suffered before because even though we had faults before, they weren't faults that tore at the fabric of the black community. But these faults nowadays are destroying the fabric of the black community. And it's going to be very difficult to overcome that destruction. Brother Neil? Yeah, um, yeah, I agree with with everybody. You can't fault the youth because the the youth were born into into the situation that they exist in right now. They didn't create the situation. They were actually born into that uh, situation. And a lot of it was the political errors that our generation made and the, and the problems that we had were the errors, errors that our uh, 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 eldest generation made before us. So, so we have to look at, so we have to be self-critical about the errors that our generation made as well as the positives that we made because there are positives and negatives in, 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 in all kinds of things. And we have to look at what positives they do, but where do we, we, uh, where do we make an error? And I think one of the big errors for our movement uh, was that uh, in the 70s and so forth, 80s, when we were moving pretty fairly well, we we didn't we didn't base ourselves strongly among the mass of the people. So we weren't we weren't strongly there when when these when these things start hitting our community real 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 hard. And we got to look at this as a warfare. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of warfare. There's guns and bullets. There's economic warfare. There's chemical warfare in the form of uh, of the drug onslaught that came in the '70s first, and then came in the '80s and '90s again, and uh, you know, and now coming again in another form. So you know, so you have these 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 are the kinds of things that uh, the enemy is promoting and pushing. Uh, I remember the brother talked about Lil' Kim as being sort of like a forerunner. I remember an interview with Lil' Kim. And Lil' Kim, she used to, uh, you know, was kind of uh, very sexual in her music. And and they interviewed her, and they were talking about, well, uh, you know, would you, and she would say, you know, about, about anything. And uh, But they asked her about some stuff political. She said, oh, no, I couldn't say that. <laughs> they wouldn't let me say that. So there was a somebody. So it's not her that is really the problem. It's the one behind her that's putting the music out because hip-hop, rap music, from the very beginning was a product of, this, of, of, of black power uh, movement. 
and the black nationalist movement. It was movement music put out there in the very beginning to promote a political idea. And when it was so effective, then the powers that be, the corporate powers that be, came out with uh, another uh, uh, a twist to the music, and they put so much money in it and so much muscle in it that it, it, it pushed us aside. We didn't push back strong enough when that happened, uh, when it first happened. And if you don't deal with a thing strong enough in the beginning, it becomes bigger down down the road. So. These are all errors of our generation. That's what we have to come back and, and, and clean up for the youth today. And we have to explain to them the errors that we made so they won't make some of the same mistakes. As you mentioned, there are many factors that, that has led to um, this disconnect, not being connected and going down the correct path that we should be going down, and that's the path of uh, liberation and revolution. Yeah. The path of reconnecting back home and resolving our problems back home in Africa, so we can use it as a base to help solve the problems of African people throughout the world. My question is is this. How do we get this connectionist back? How do we realize that... Um, you know, we need to anticipate this connection. I don't think it has been completely broken, but definitely need to be strengthened. Uh, you can start up, Brother Neil. Yeah, Lee, yeah. Lee, before we move on, I think some, I think someone was still trying to speak to the last question. I think we had someone that was trying to, uh, not to cut you off, I think someone was trying to, 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 to add to what was said. Yeah, this is um, Mba. Um, I, I, I want to I add in because... Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Simba. Yeah, I want to add that even though it's not it's not the fault of the youth, we can't blame the youth, but we can't absolve them from being responsible for changing once they find out that what they are doing isn't right. So we can't blame them, but we can't give them carte blanche to continue functioning the way they are functioning. That's what I want to add. So at one point, I'm saying it's not their fault, but they also, once they know better, are responsible for not continuing that manner of um, of activities, that manner of acting. And, brother, we have to remember, too, that with our youth, they have to understand the conditions. We have to understand classism, right? Right. So, right. although although they do, they may see this, right? And I'll use myself for example. Right. And I'm I'm 38. I'll be 39 years old. When I was 16, a, a brother handed me "Message to the Black Man" by Elijah Muhammad, and I read that book, and I had no understanding of it. I took on to some of the concepts, but no one was there to guide me or direct me. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Uh-huh. So as I continued on through life, I continued on, you know, through the ignorance, through the manifestations right. that was put here for me, you know. Right. So that's kind of still that as I do and not as I say, I mean, as I say and not as I do things. Because mm-hmm. if we don't have anyone that is directing us towards this and we still 
are living in the same class struggle, then we still can't be expected to, to just pull ourselves out of it when we're still living in the same conditions every day. You know, when you're still living in a place, you know, that that doesn't encourage your thrivement, you know, that speaks on your demise and on your people's demise, and all you can see, you know, is the negativity of it. Right. Then the expectancy of one individual is a mighty task, especially when you're talking about someone whose mind is still being influenced by society, who, as we said, was born into this. This was already pre-designed before you even got here. That's the monster you're already fighting. Why are you still trying to maintain this school? Why are you still trying to figure out, do I need to be an entertainer or do I need to be in the streets? Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? I'm, right. So, you know, Go on. While, while, it, while idealistically, I mean, that sounds excellent, you know, we definitely want to hold them responsible and accountable, you know, because in every situation there's right and wrong, and we have to, you know, as part of self-contestation. Mm-hmm. But reality says and the condition says that without the example and without the leader, you know, that's going to be even more hard. That's why we, you know, we push towards uh, revolutionary organizations. You know, that's why it's important, yeah. you know, which was a question that I was going to, to raise. You know, how do we speak more, uh, you know, how do, we, how do we get back on these campuses? Or how do we get back into, you know, what they call these projects and neighborhoods and speak to these youth? You know, because that's something that I, that I, you know, I have a, a struggle with. You know, so we have to be the example of the, of the, you know, I don't like to use the term new African, you know, but in a sense, the new better African. Yeah, well, that's well, going to inherit I, and continue this. Right. I I like the term new African, but as you spoke, I, I agree with you. Um, but I also think about. Um, something that that Malcolm X talked about in his autobiography, how the nation of Islam was not making any progress or very little progress, and his and his question was, well, how do we get more people involved? And the answer was to go to the people and to have one person stand up at a time or one recruit at a time and to keep on going little by little because that's how he made the nation of Islam as popular as it became. It was a big, a real big challenge for him. But because he said, what I'm going to get out here among these people. I'm going to do the stuff as a matter of fact. Do like the Jehovah's Witnesses do. See, we don't right. do that. We right. don't do that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 what I think too. You got to go. The the, <laughs> the 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 only way that the only way when you talk about students being a spark, the only way students are going to be a spark is when they go to the people. If the students right. don't go to the people, they they just they just they just sitting around soaking up stuff. So. Going to the people is, is, is you got to go to the people. And when you go to the people, you got to learn from the people. Because right. what you're doing is you're combining two types of information. You type, you're combining book information, which is very important. 
but also you combine that book information with experience information that's passed down for generations that 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 might be word of mouth, you know, with the oral history, and that's very important. So you go to the people, you go there, not just to teach, but also to learn, to to share, to exchange. That's one thing we have to realize and never forget, that everything begins and ends with the people. You know, yeah. as Kwame, you know, as Kwame loves to say, you know, everything that we have and we, we got, we got it from the people, all the struggle that we have, yeah. you know, to be able to be on this platform. Our people struggle for this, you know. Yeah. And so we can't separate the students and the youth from the people. They have to be intertwined. You know, that's what Incrumism Terrorism teaches us, you know. So, you know, with that being said, you know, the the students, like you said, the students have to be in direct correlation with the people. The youth have to be involved directly with, you know, what's going on with the people, with their material and physical conditions, Um, you know. So, Mm -hmm. absolutely. A lot lot of times the students are the people. Let us bring in. Brother Anthony right now, one of the other participants. Oh. Brother Anthony, based on the things you ever heard so far, um, any of your reaction to some of the things that have just been raised and thoughts? <clears throat> sure. Um, I think, uh, let's see, based upon what, what has been said over the last few minutes, I think we have to bear in mind that uh, that back that our ancestors were clearer on the identity on the question of identity than we are. So actually, what what has been going on over uh, since chattel slavery ended, really a lot longer than that, is an intensification of neocolonialism. And what I mean by that is the fact that um, we, uh, our people uh, and our youth especially have been victims of of, uh, an an intensification of uh, capitalist exploitation. And that has manifested itself today primarily as neocolonialism. That's primarily the way the attacks of imperialism come at us, is through neocolonialism. And uh, people might have questioned, what does all this have to do with Zionism? Zionism in the in U.S. society controls the media, and uh, and it's through the control of the media that they have spread confusion among our youth. In addition to some of the other factors that were mentioned earlier, like uh, drug trafficking in our community and what have you. Uh, this media domination, uh, this cont- uh, you know, by Zionist forces, has made it so that uh, that a lot of the people that our youth look up to for leadership 
like our athletes, entertainers, and political figures, they are controlled by Zionist forces and also other manifestations of capitalism. So what has happened is since, uh, you know, uh, the assassinations of uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, uh, especially it's an intensification of uh, neocolonialism. In other words, a lot of the a lot of the rights and the uh, and the power we fought for has been gradually eroded because the political figures that have been put in place uh, were sellouts. They uh, they sold out their uh, labor to the highest bidder which is what we encourage to do to this day as a result of the formal education we received. We are are, uh, selling out our labor to the highest bidder. And uh, as a result, that is why uh, we do not identify with uh, Africa the way we should because Neocolonialism has intensified. As we intensified our struggle, the enemy has intensified their struggle. And the solution to that is that we have to get better organized as a people. I think the biggest, uh, looking back on our history, the biggest mistake is our failure to form permanent organization. And that's something that uh, Kwame Ture emphasized, the importance of being permanently organized, not merely mobilized, like we were during the 50s and 60s, but actually forming permanent organizations so that we can take control of the education of our youth. And on that note, we're going to have to take a revolutionary break. And when we come back, we're going to have a response and have our final thoughts on the theme today or the topic, Students Are the Spot, the Rural Students Revolution. This is Africa on the Move.
to Africa on the Moon as we celebrate 640 years of African Liberation Day and 74 years of Enochma Day, Palestine Day, making with two revolutionaries, strugglers who are trying to make their humble contribution to Africa and African people liberation and unity. In closing out this discussion, we're going to go to our two uh, remaining panelists and guests, and we're going to just ask each one of them to give us a summation of um, their message to the students and the youth today and how we can create the situation to make them become uh, more responsible. I'll start with you, Brother Neil. Yeah, well, the... um the thing that I would say is the first thing is that we have to be responsible. Students have to be responsible. You have to be responsible. That means they have to be responsible to themselves, that they consume good stuff, not try to stay away from the negative influences, and then responsible to their community. And to be responsible to your community, you have to uh, create organizations that are going to or participate or join organizations that are going to do the um, do the thing that will move us forward. And that is we have to, at this period, as Brother Anthony said, we're in a period of heightened neocolonialism. And so we need revolutionary pan-African organizations. So join a revolutionary pan-African organizations. Um, our organization, the Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party, you can – just say Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party dot org, and you can find our information. We have right now we have two projects for youth. We have a Uhuru Uhuru schools for for young people, and we are building a uh, we're building in the uh, framework of Kwame Nkrumah. We're building the uh, Young Pioneers Organization um, back here. So uh, those are some of the things we'd say. Just join an organization, uh, go to your people, serve the people, and learn from the people, and build a pan-African revolution. Brother Imba, thank you, Brother Neil. Yeah, that's um, that's an interesting question, Lee. Um, I agree with what um, what your brother just said. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of complicated, you know. When you're dealing with, um, I think Anthony talked about organizations. 
Now, I know right offhand there are a couple of structures. There's a national structure, the Republic of New Africa, that is permanent. Um, and I've known about the um, All-African People's Revolutionary Party for probably 50 years. I mean, that sounds pretty close to permanent to me. I mean, it's, well, it's, not, it's not permanent, but it's something that is established. It's dealing with good people, well-informed people. Um, but neither of those has caught the imagination of the masses. And I think one of the reasons is because we are not in the street among the masses the way we need to be. So what what can the students, what my message to the students is if they can, get us back closer to our roots. Um, I don't know if they're prepared to, to do that. I, I think we have not prepared them to do that, but there might be some extraordinary ones who are capable of doing it. But I know that the ones that we think of when we think about the talented camp are not capable of producing the changes that we need among our students in order to get them to get us closer to our roots. And on that note, Brother Impa, Brother Neil, we thank you for making your contribution to today's program uh, and for celebrating with us as we carry on our African Liberation Month activities uh, throughout this month. We thank you all. And what we're going to do right now, we're going to a quick break, and when we come back, there are some solidarity statements Brother Anthony will read and share with you as it relates to uh, the rest of the world. It's as they celebrate and join the All African Peoples Refugee Project GC African Liberation Month, and we'll close out with some final thoughts, Brother Anthony M. Two and myself. So, remember, this is Africa on the Move, and you can catch this radio show every week on Sundays at 7 p.m. You can go to Blog Talk Radio and. Find out that way, or you can always call in wherever you are at 323-679-0841. This every Sunday night, 7 p.m., we encourage you to join us. So we're going to have this lovely break, and then we'll come back with some of our final thoughts. This is Africa on the Move. A negative attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote-unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying 
that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards under Europe or European. You will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look on the Africa and the Africans, the only entries on the Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negroes. A negative attitude towards Africa. That was the voice of Walter Ratner speaking in California back, I believe, in 1972. What we're going to do right now, we're going to make some uh, read some solidarity statement and make some announcements, and then we're going to have uh, some of our final thoughts for this program today. Right now, Brother Efty, uh, we will go to you. You have some more messages of solidarity to the All-African People's Revolutionary Party GC as we continue uh, our celebration of African Liberation Month. Brother Anthony. Sure. Uh, this is from uh, Haiti Oye. Haiti Oye sends revolutionary greetings and congratulatory riches, wishes on the occasion of African Liberation Day to the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, and the All African Women's Revolutionary Union, GC. Further, we extend our firm solidarity to our Palestinian brothers and sisters upon the commemoration of Nakba. In addition, we take this occasion to honor and express our solidarity with indigenous peoples around the world. The struggles for African, Palestinian, and indigenous liberation are harm are hallmarked by tremendous courage and unyielding perseverance. These movements have shown time and again what people organized to fight liberation struggles can accomplish and serve as sterling examples to inspire others who follow in their wake, including our own organization's efforts in Haiti. It is an honor to be included in the African Liberation Day Not By Program. We remain in conscious and purposeful solidarity with these struggles and stand ready to act 
whenever and however needed. Shirley Pate, KDOA. Okay, and we have a statement uh, from uh, Mr. Uh, Brother James uh, Jordan of the Alliance for Global Justice. The Alliance for Global Justice sends a warm fraternal greeting to the All African People's Revolutionary Party GC and the All African Women's Revolutionary Union GC and to Africa on the move on the occasion of the 64th African Liberation Day and the 74th anniversary of Palestine Nakba Day. The struggle of African people in their home continent and all over the world has not just been an example to all other people uh to all in, in and to all of the people and all of the liberation movements, the truth is that the African people have led the way in the fights against colonialism, slavery, global capitalism, and U.S. imperialism. We not only express our solidarity, but our thanks for all the lessons we have learned and the inspiration we have received from the AAPRPGC and all those who are waging the battle for African liberation. The Palestinian people have struggled against colonialism and empire for thousands of years, and they continue forward today. The Palestine is a land and cultural bridge that has linked Africa to Europe and Asia ever since Africans set foot on the first long migration to other lands. It is right and natural that African Liberation Day and Nakba Day are celebrated together. Palestinian liberation is intimately and historically linked with African liberation. In the same way internationally, we recognize that no one in the world can be free until Palestine and Africa are free. In closing, today we celebrate African Liberation Day and Nakba Day and express our profound solidarity as we walk side by side on the path to international liberation and the better world we are all dreaming of and working toward. And we have a final uh, statement from Matt Meyer uh, of the International Peace Research Association. Writing from North Africa as the freedom struggle for Western Sahara and so many others intensely continues, it remains my honor to send greetings to comrades in the AAPRP, GC, and all others on African Liberation Day 2022. As the Secretary General of the International Peace Research Association and longtime associate of War Resisters International, 
and the International Fellowship of Reconciliation, our organizational ties to the AAPRP and Pan-Africanism are far stronger and more important than any differences. My personal understanding of the world today would be lost without the historical guidance of the leaders of the of African liberation, including Kwame Ture and so many others. In this time when so much of the world gazes, gazes at war in Europe, we understand that an end to NATO is key to peace in the region, just as the freedom of Palestine is key to peace in that region, as the unity of all African people is key to peace in the world. Without justice, there can be no peace, as our comrades in the AAPRPGCF taught all along. Aluta Katanua, ready for revolution. Thank you, Anthony. And listening to those statements, we will be remiss if we don't talk a little bit about the connection between Palestinian liberation and African liberation. You know, when we talk about students, we saw and we see today there's a historical link between the students collaborating and working together, whether in Palestine or whether in Zambia, um, South Africa. There's a link, whether in Palestine or we look at the people over in um, here in the U.S., in St. Louis, when uh, riots took place about two years ago and they made the connection of the same forces that are oppressing the brothers and sisters in St. In St. Louis are the same folks who are pressing and killing them. So there is a there is a link of understanding that as scrub is one. So in terms of when we're talking about African Liberation Day, we always understand and look at the issue of the Palestinian question. Why is that, Brother Anthony? Because we're fighting against a common enemy. Capitalism and all of its manifestations, including imperialism, Zionism, racism, neocolonialism, because uh, 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 that that has become part of the Palestinian struggle uh, as well. In addition to uh, their fight against uh, settler colonialism and Zionism. And uh, so our struggle, stru- struggles are connected in that in that way. And also, uh, the only way we're going to defeat these common enemies is that we have to get better organized as a people, and we have to unite and uh, for, uh, in in solidarity with other liberation organizations that are also fighting against common, uh, a, a common enemy, uh, including uh, the Palestinians, the indigenous people in, of the Western Hemisphere and other parts of the world, including the Irish, who, are, who have been engaged in a liberation struggle against uh, England uh, for uh, around 800 years or so. 
and that struggle continues to this day. So uh, we have to intensify our level of organization because only an organized people can defeat uh, an, uh, organized enemies, such as all manifestations of imperialism. And in terms of the All African People Roughly Applied at GC, for people who are listening to this program, how can they join and support the organization? Okay. All right. Certainly. Um, you, uh, you, uh, you can visit our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org where you can uh, find out more information and uh, join or support the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. You can also find out the schedule of our African Liberation Day, Palestine Day activities throughout the month of May. And uh, you will eventually be able to check out programs that have occurred during this month. And you can find out about the history of political program and uh, objective of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, which is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And we'll go to my co-host tonight, Brother M2. As a youth and having a chance to work and participate as a member of the All-African People Revolutionary Party, what would you say to the other youth who's out there who are looking for a revolutionary organization to join? Brother M2. Yes, brother. Yeah, so we, uh, uh, as Brother Anthony said, you know, we encourage all students and youth globally, uh, you know, who are the spark of the revolution, who are the vanguard, um, to join an organization that directs them towards political revolutionary consciousness, you know, who will help uh, facilitate, which will help facilitate their revolutionary actions um, in their day-to-day life. Um, we encourage our youth um, our students, as well as all African people, to begin to um, to discuss and to decide upon the, the problems and the issues um, that directly and indirectly affect our people's liberation, which also includes the emancipation of women. Uh, that's one thing that we can't forget about. Without the emancipation of women, uh, no one is free. Um, as Anthony said, we, we uh, direct people towards our web portal, again, is www.a-aprp-gc.org. Uh, and we encourage people to, you know, to join, to go through orientation, so that way they can learn more about us. They can get involved in, in work-study circles. Um, that way they can learn etiology, you know, because they have to be introduced to these things. And we're finding that uh, outside of revolutionary organization, 
these things aren't, you know, discussed. Our youth aren't, aren't necessarily reading. You know, that's one thing we encourage. We have to read. We must read. You know, uh, technology has, has got us, um, our brains not wanting to be focused or be disciplined on turning pages because everything's at, our, at the touch of our hands. So uh, we definitely encourage our youth as well as all Africans to join organizations that are having work-study circles, um, that, are, that are having um, meetings about uh, etiology, so that way we can develop these concepts and we can have a better understanding of our conditioning as well as the past, the future, and the, and the right now. Um, as Brother Kwame would say, if you can't find an organization that fits your needs and desires, you know, it's, it's your responsibility to to build one um, that will help the people. Uh, so we just, uh, you know, we direct people towards that, you know, say forward to the struggle, the emancipation of women, as well as to the African People's Revolution. Thank you, Brother M2, Brother Anthony. Thank all of our participants. Thank our listening audience. And we want to thank those who will hear this program later. That it's important to understand the necessity for organization. It is only through organization where you can get unity. Organization people for unity. So we must be organized. And not only organized, but to be permanent organized. Not only be permanently organized, but we'll be organized from a revolutionary perspective. We won't change. We don't want reform. We know the students are the spark. Students come, let's spark this thing and get it over with. And more importantly, again, we would like to remind you that this is African Liberation Month under the banner of the AAPRPGC and the remaining activities that are coming up for this one, as Brother Anthony alluded to earlier, is that on Friday, May 27th, There'll be a th- there'll be a a program on Pan Africanism and socialism in the 21st century. That can be from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Friday, maybe 27, on this station, Africa on the Move. So please spread the word and join us. On Saturday, May the 28th, that is our African Liberation Day, Palestine Day. That's right. We'll be celebrating the topic, the theme, unleashing an offensive of 64 years. Or African Liberation Day, intensifying the revolutionary struggle against capitalism and imperialism, Zionism and neocolonialism, forward to Pan-Africanism, one unified socialist Africa. That will be Saturday, May 28th, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And to talk about the month, for May, on Tuesday, we will have our Rumpshire brother, dynamic intellectual educator, Pan-Africanist uh, writer, historian, Brother Bob Brown, will be doing a presentation of history of the six, four years of African Liberation Day and its struggles. So please join us on Tuesday night. That will be from 7 to 10 p.m. That will be on a webinar, so go to the APIP website. You can... Um, check it out. And of course, we would like to make this announcement as well. As we talk about learning from various revolutionary movements and the raw students and how people can fight and resist, why well, we have a good model, model that you must take a look at, and that model is Cuba. 
in association with the African Wellness Association, African Moon will be teaming up with them as they take their annual uh, education culture tour to Cuba. This will be a travel challenge. We're calling our allies, friends, and people who want to show their solidarity to Cuba to come and join us from July the 23rd to the 31st, leaving for Cancun, Mexico, in support of Cuba, of Cuba and learning from that revolution. So if you're interested in going on this particular travel challenge with us, please email the African Awareness Association at African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. So at this point in time, we'd like again thank you for allowing us to come and speak to you today as we talk about this important um, issue of students out the spot, the world students in revolution. We hopefully to see you next year around the same time, but more importantly, we hope to hear from you and see you this Friday on the 27th from 7 to 9 p.m. as we talk about the important issue of Pan-Africanism Socialism in the 21st century. And on Saturday, actually kind of African Liberation Day for 11-2 and topping off everything for the month, check out the dynamic presentation and information that Brother Bob Brown bring to you on the 31st from um, 7 to 10 p.m. on the webinar. So again, let's all describe to go forward with backwards novel. It was an honor to come to your home this evening to speak truth to power, but more importantly, to give you information so you can think and to expose you to organizations so you can act upon them and think more clearly. Until next time, let's continue to fight for Africa, African people, and our liberation and unification. This has been Africa on the Move, celebrating 64 years of African Liberation Day, 74 years of Inakbak, Palestine Day. So we leave you with some music of inspiration.
Namelan Quite illegal You're in Namelan Dig out me go In Namelan Digging out me pearl In Namelan Dig out me diamond We have a fight
Smack an E on the beat. Hey, this one na sara sara. The beat is tana tana. You go make you manya manya. The next is manya manya. Oh yeah, make you ricotta ricotta mama Africa ricotta hey. Make you dance yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody ricotta ricotta mama Africa ricotta hey. Make you dance yeah, 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 yeah. This one na sara sara. The beat is tana tana. You go make you manya manya. Next is in manya manya. This is for people with kalaka. Hey, people with kalaka. Hey, yeah, nandi walanya. Hey, nandi kalanya. It gon' make you feel better. This can take away palaba. This can take away wala. It gon' make you feel nicer. Oh yeah, let's go to Kenya, Rwanda, and Tanzania. Togo, Cameroon, Niger, Ghana, Southern Sudan. Oh yeah, make you ricotta, ricotta, mama Africa, ricotta, eh? Hey. Make it up, yeah. Get your sorrow Makachuku you go buy and pay for your motto oh, hey. Hey. This one na sara sara The beat is tana tana You go make you manya manya Inesi si manya manya This is for people we talaka hey. People we kalaka hey. Hey. Nandi walanya hey. Nandi kalanya It go make you feel better This can take away palaba This can take away pala Touch. And I just want the whole world to know about my life. 
Venezuela con las manos arriba, ¿qué? ¿Qué? 
Venezolana en todo lo que se haga en Venezuela. No solo es un ritmo, escucha las letras. Tan criollo como que te vean y te digan, eh, para que te choquen las manos. Al final del día, dale, hablamos. Y lo que más me alegra, la gente latina siempre será gente negra. Comandante, te amo. Que Dios te bendiga. ¿Dónde está Maranta? El Amaranta y el Pinky, ¿dónde están? ¿No? La cantera. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer. To give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, cause Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed we need a new beginning let us plant the seed plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that palestine, palestine. needs her freedom Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine, 
needs our love. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.